Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show where we shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. Entertainment can be a weird world, and we try to find the good that's in there. Right. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we're here each and every Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on BYU Radio. And today we have a fantastic show. It's kind of a different show. We haven't talked a lot with film directors and especially people that have a stunt background. And today we're going to do both. We get to kill two birds with one carefully choreographed stunt stone. Yes, a prop, a prop stone and a prop bird. What's what's your opinion on <laughs> props in uh, stunts? Are we going to get to that as well? I think so. I mean, there are some tragic tales involving props and stunts, but we don't necessarily have to talk about those. We could mention them in in passing, I guess. Okay. But uh, as we do with each and every show, we like to start out with the very best in entertainment news. And we have to start out with the news that is very upsetting to a lot of people, but just funny to people like you and me. I know that you watch the show Game Game of of Thrones. Thrones. I do. I've seen a tiny bit of it. And uh, it, I do see why people are a little frustrated, and it is a little weird how it's being handled. But in the end, I think the whole thing is probably being blown out of proportion a little bit. Jeff's referring to the fact that on Game of Thrones this past week, a show that is set in medieval-looking times, Lord of the Rings-ish era, there was a coffee cup just sitting on the table, along with all of these goblets and fancy other, um, you know, trappings of your dinner in the medieval times. Uh, There was also just a a coffee cup there. Right, with the clearly identifiable Starbucks logo on there. And people took to Twitter and said, oh, Starbucks, what are you doing there? And I think uh, the the showrunners or somebody involved at the show kind of responded in jest by saying, Oh, they would never. They ordered a tea, but got a coffee by mistake. You this know. is also a fun thing because just last, so two weeks ago's episode, there was a lot of Twitter backlash on how dark the whole episode seemed, and the cinematographer and the showrunners <laughs> shot back at these people like, "You don't know what you're talking about. We did this on purpose." And then the very next week, we find out that. A coffee cup made it through. <laughs> you know, I, I've always – I've actually thought about lighting quite a bit in movies because, you know, you always see these old shots, especially in old movies, where somebody turns on a light or lights a candle and all of a sudden the entire room is just bursting with light. Ooh, 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 ooh. My favorite weird <laughs> example of this is the Phantom of the Opera movie where – The old one from like the 30s? 2001, oh, like okay. the yeah, newer yeah, – yeah one Uh where they go down into this underground thing and there's just there's candles everywhere but the whole thing is super lit it's i think the most unrealistically lit i almost i i would almost prefer a dimly lit room because i feel like it would be much more realistic and i'm i'm all for realism in movie which is practical effects right which is something we'll be talking about later on in the show Mm -hmm. but uh i also should mention Speaking of dark rated R type content, if you're looking forward to It Chapter 2, then you've probably already seen the trailer that just came out yesterday. Cole is not going to watch it. It seems like every week we have a new trailer to talk about and we're all right with that. I don't watch all of them because I'm a purist. I want to go into a movie with my palate cleansed, but... Everyone else watches them, so we right. talk about them. And if you're curious as to what it is, 
Um, just know it's very rated R, and if you're concerned about content either for yourself or for your kids, you're going to want to steer clear from that one. Based on Stephen King novel, this right. is the second half of a first half that made quite a bit of money just a few years ago. It is coming out the week after official summer. We talked about our summer movie preview last week and what yeah. we thought would make a lot of money. It did not make it into the discussion because what didn't? it comes out. Just the next week. <laughs> I love if you go on Conan and you watch the interview with Bill Hader, he, uh, the two of them are riffing on the title of the sequel for It. And they were saying how funny it would have been if it was called It's or It Is. <laughs> it What's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or What Is It? I don't know. <laughs> but um, so that's coming out in September, just in time for the Halloween season. We've got to talk about this other bit of news that I am super excited about because I am now 0 for 2 when it comes to these movie subscription passes. The first one being Movie Pass. They burn you. Yes. And the other one being Cinemia, which didn't even really make a press release of any kind that they were out of business. It, you're, uh, the service just stopped working, and then if you went onto their website, it said, oh, by the way, effective immediately, we're out of business. So, yeah, um, had bad luck. So I've started looking closer at theater-specific royalty programs. Cinemark, right? right around MoviePass's heyday, Cinemark came out with theirs, where you get one movie and some discounted popcorn. Uh, AMC Stubbs already existed, but they came out with The A-List, which allows you to get three movies a week for only $20. Which is a, a, an amazing deal. I don't. Cole is convinced that neither of these uh, deals is going to stick around now that some of these other subscription services are going out of business. But now there's a new one. And, you know, I think it only affects Utah, Nevada, maybe another state or two, but it is the Megaplex theater chain. And my wife and I have been waiting. Oh, if they if Megaplex just came out with their own royalty program, we would join that in a heartbeat. They finally have. And I'm really looking closely at it. It's probably not as good of a deal as I was hoping for, but it's it's enough that, you know, we think. Yeah, for $15, my wife and I can go see a movie together once a month. That's that's not a bad deal. And you get the you get the discounted concessions and the online ticket fees are waived. And here's the best part, and I can't think of another theater loyalty program that does this. But you get the two tickets for $15. You can use it for any format. You can purchase your tickets in advance and you can you can use that second ticket for someone else. So this is the first program that I've seen where two people can share the same account. That's huge for us. So we're perfect strongly, for date nights. Yeah, we're strongly considering it. Sure. Thank you, Megapass, and thank you, Megaplex. <laughs> so now, Cole, I understand there are a few movie releases this weekend, and you're going to be talking about the only one that has a fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and just barely at that. It's a PG-rated Ryan Reynolds-voiced Pokemon movie. Now, I kind of want to see it on that alone, because how many PG movies has Ryan Reynolds made? Not a ton. Right. Um, and he he can push the boundaries of PG, but still, it's it's a very kid-based movie, and I was really excited for it, especially the Pokemon fan that I am. I grew up in the 90s with the video games and the playing cards. Um, I knew how to battle Pokemon even with the cards, as opposed to just collecting. It was... 
I was that kind of a, a nerdy kid that enjoyed Pokemon, and mm-hmm. and I am really, really familiar with the original 150, not so much with some of the more recent iterations, but this Pokemon movie manages to bring us all together. Pikachu is still the star, and Pikachu's the one that's voiced by Ryan Reynolds, yes. and Pikachu is one of our original Pokemon, but surprising amounts of newer Pokemon have really vital roles to be had in this really? live-action slash CG for the Pokemon's movie. So it, it really is. We remember Pokemon Go was such a huge thing a couple of years ago. For a very brief moment. For a week. <laughs> it was just the single most blissful week that's happened in my entire life. But it managed to unite a lot of generations together. You realize that kids still play Pokemon and they still know what it is. And this movie is for kids almost to its detriment. Uh, the mm. one criticism I have kind of crops up over and over again in the movie is that as soon as you kind of put the pieces together and realize what's happening, they make it very textual and, and they spell it out for you, this is what's happening. They kind right. of don't trust their audience, which happens a lot in kids' movies sometimes. And in the end, that's what this movie is for. It, it is a nice nostalgia trip for adults, but it's movie structure is for kids. And I think that's okay. That's interesting that you say that about, you know, the movie talking down to its audience and the movie being for kids because you've heard it said that you shouldn't talk down to kids. You know, you shouldn't condescend to kids. Oh, they can handle more than we think we think. Right. Absolutely. So is this a movie that people that are not familiar with Pokemon in the least can enjoy? (laughs) Not at all. Really? It's. I mean, it's it's a nice... the beginning of the movie feels a lot like iRobot with Will Smith, where okay. you have this kid, this main character that is kind of anti the way the world has gone, whether it's robots or Pokemon, and they're forced to go on this detective adventure with a partner that is that thing, a robot or a Pokemon. Hmm. So that was kind of fun. Ryan Reynolds riffs. That's always fun. But the heart of this movie is all of the Pokemon things that are happening. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be talking about a couple of movies that you're going to have to look a little harder to find. And the first one is a documentary called Scary Stories. Now, if that title sounds familiar, it's because it's the first part of the title, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. A summer movie release that's coming up. Right. And that we're super excited for based on the children's books, the very... uh, the very um, controversial children's books that came out a number of years ago. They're horror books. Let them, let them scare you a little bit. Right. And if you are a diehard fan of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz with the illustrations by, oh, Gamel, Stephen Gamel, I believe, uh, then you're definitely going to want to check out this documentary, which just recently came out on Video On Demand. Now, again, I mentioned, I said diehard fans because, as a whole, the movie is a little bit of a mess as far as the editing is concerned and as far as the audio levels are concerned. It's a Uh-oh. little choppy. However, there are some beautiful scenes in this film. They hired somebody to illustrate, in the vein of Stephen Gamel, uh, these scenes throughout the movie that kind of accompany the things that are being talked about. Interesting. And the movie focuses heavily on the controversy of these stories, as well as just how how they came to be, how Alvin Schwartz uh, started gathering these stories. He was very much a journalist, and so his research was top-notch. And plus, you get to see some interviews for from some more... 
uh, notable people in the horror realm, as far as fiction is concerned, including R.L. Stein. So like I said, if you're a diehard fan, you've got to see it. It's funny, the movie ends by showing all of these uh, Stephen Gamble tattoos on all these different body parts to the tune of uh, They Can't Take That Away From Me by Billie Holiday. <laughs> so very entertaining as a whole, it's kind of it's kind of an uneven movie, but you should enjoy it nonetheless. For a documentary to learn more about something you love, right? check it out. We mentioned earlier in the program that we were going to be talking to not only a director, but a stunt coordinator. And the reason we're doing that today is because today is another release of a movie called Resilience and the Last Spike. Directed by Brian Finn. And we're going to be talking to him here in just a minute. But Cole and I wanted to take a minute to talk about the film. We both had an opportunity to view it. They were uh, nice enough to provide us with a copy ahead of time. And we noticed a lot of good in this film. First of all, we should make it known, and you'll you'll hear about this here in a minute from Brian. This is a passion project, and it just so happens that this is the 150th. Today is the 150th anniversary of the completion of the first transcontinental railroad. And that's kind of where the movie starts. The way it begins and, and the way the music comes together and kind of a sepia tone on top of the flashback parts of this movie are really cool and and kind of an homage to the fact that we're celebrating this part in American history. Right. So a lot of the the good things that Cole and I noticed about this film is the cinematography and the stunts. And I I thought the the lead in the movie Rizzy who is actually played by Brian Finn's daughter. Mm-hmm. I think she is a doll of a girl and she shows that she really is resilient and that she has the resources that she needs to outwit these bad guys that she, that are chasing her and to try to rescue her family and find this hidden treasure that's been hidden for 150 years. So all right there, I listed a bunch of elements that make up a really good kids movie and that get kids excited to watch this. And my daughter didn't see the whole thing, but she walked in and watched it about halfway through, and she was hooked from the onset. Here are some things. I wrote down some of the things that she said as we were watching it. She said, she's good. I like her. And then she turns to me and she says, I told you she was smart. And then toward the end of the film, when she's trying to rescue her family, she says, She's just sad about her family. She's just worried that they're hurt. And then as things start to look up, she says, this makes me so happy and sad. <laughs> it's interesting. I think my my kids still can't quite differentiate between things like happy, sad moments, you know, right. like it's happy because they've found each other. But it's also a little sad because they've gone through this big ordeal. They had to find each other. Right. So – and I don't think I'm spoiling anything by by sharing any of that with you. I think Brian Finn will do a little bit more of that coming up here in just a minute. But what were some of your other thoughts on this film, Cole? So we mentioned that he has some stunt experience in Hollywood. Right. And that we're even going to share some of our favorite big stunts over the years. Uh, He shot the stunts really well. He has a chance to be in this movie himself playing the father of his real-life daughter that's the star of the movie and they do a lot of these off-roading kind of motorcycle stunts across the deserts of utah really utah is the star of this movie a a lot of movies shoot in utah and then lie and say it's the arabian desert or something else right right this is a a truly utah story and it's really cool to see utah shown off in this way 
Well, we are super excited to talk to Brian Finn, and we're so grateful that he took time out of his very busy schedule to be here. Cole mentioned not only did he star in the film, he wrote the film, he did the stunts, he directed it, and now he's promoting it. And when we return, we're going to give him a chance to do that here on Screen Cleaning. Today on Screen Cleaning, we're speaking with 30-year Hollywood veteran Brian Finn, who's releasing a brand new film shot right here in Utah, and it commemorates the 150th anniversary of the completion of the first transcontinental railroad. Brian, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Brian, just to start off, go ahead and give us a brief synopsis of your film Resilience and The Last Spike. Basically, it's a uh, kind of a, a it's a a bunch of stuff starting together. It, it begins in the 1800s with the actual the actual opening scene. We went and shot at the trains and at the uh, site in Promontory, Utah, cool. and we see the Golden Spike being driven in. That's how the movie opens up. And to give you a little back history of it, the uh, I wrote this I wrote this about a year and a half ago. Is all. And started started prepping it and doing this sort of thing. And I wanted to make our date of May 10th, which is coming up here, yep. to get the completion. <laughs> so it's been a big-time stress and struggle to get this thing out there, and we, we made it. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the story and then maybe how the idea came about for making the film. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you basically follow them, and it kind of just leaves the railroad part of it to jump back a little bit. The railroad part, we shot for uh, two days, lots of uh, trains and speeches and the whole event. Yeah. That was actually part for the series. This is planned to be a series. As my whole goal is to make Resilience a series. And we'll go back, and it goes back and forth between the 1800s to modern day. And we would bring a lot of the more history and the railroad stuff in in the series. In the film itself, there's beautiful images and the uh, start of the trains and the speech and all that stuff but it's more about the chinese part of this interesting so yeah so the so the chinese then then uh head they're heading back to san francisco after their after their deal and they not to be too spoiler or whatever but they get hit <laughs> they get they disappear yeah and uh you see a lightning strike and uh smoke and debris and through that debris comes uh, a modern day a girl a little girl on a motorcycle which is resilience Awesome. And her name is Riz. She goes by Rizzy. And so we get to the we get to modern day now, and you discover that she is her uncle had helped the Chinese, and she really wants to know where they disappeared and where this whole whole thing happened. And so she she basically is with her family out camping, and they're in. If you've noticed, there'll be some little hints and stuff. You'll see that they're in the same spot where these yeah. Chinese people, you know, uh, disappeared years yeah. ago. So that's that's kind of how it opens up, and then the story, just to give the short of it, is she's out there camping with her family, and they're sort of they don't understand if the legend's true, and she's really into that. She's a historian. She's kind of like a Laura Croft meets Indiana Jones. I mean, she's oh, wow. this cool, <laughs> cool little girl. She's just yeah. really well studied. She trains. She she just all kinds of just a really interesting interesting person, and. Um, so she's really into it. Her family's like, hey, you know, I don't know if it's true, but you're out here camping with your family. We're having a good time. And I just really wanted to show the strong relationship between her and her parents and, and her faith to an extent. That's so, awesome. So not to give – if you've seen the trailer, it's not too much of a spoiler. But what happens is 
her family gets hit by a flash flood yeah. and they, and they disappear and you don't know what's going on with them. So she's by herself 57 miles from nowhere and she's got to go for help because she believes they're, they're alive. My goodness. And so she takes her training and takes her, you know, she, she has, she has moments where it looks like it's not going to make it and she'll say a prayer and there's just this moment of peace and power and she comes together and gets her, gets her wits about her. But you'll see, I mean, she comes across a wolf, a crazy sandstorm, uh, some bad guys that are also part of this little side yeah. story, and and uh, that's kind of the kind of the deal. Is that adventure? You don't know what's going to happen, but that's that's what that's what happens. So, was the entire film shot here in Utah? <laughs> okay, so yeah, the the most I think the coolest and the most one of the most important things to me is to showcase Utah and its beauty and the amazing landscapes that are here. Yeah, and it's I mean we shot in we shot forty five days. All over the state. I'm talking all the way to St. George, uh, Little Grand Canyon, if you've heard of that. I showed pictures to people, buddies in, in L.A. and stuff. And they're, how'd you get a permit to shoot in the Grand Canyon? I'm like, no, this is in Utah. And there's a little, literally a hand-painted sign that says Little Grand Canyon, 30 miles. It's out, outside of Castledale. Yeah. And it's, it's just a beautiful, amazing place. And she does – we do some really cool, like uh, – Mission Impossible type climbing scenarios with yeah. with uh, Rizzy, which is uh, Kiara Finn, which is my daughter. So, oh, really? Yes, yes. And so that's uh, so we shot there. We shot in Skull Valley. We shot up in Echo. We shot out at Promontory. Um, just one of the best things about this, if you're into the visual or parts of Utah you've never seen, this this will be a really great experience for you for sure. Now, Brian, I understand this is not your first rodeo. You've been in you've been around, like we said, for thirty years. And we took a look at your IMDb page, and you've got some pretty big credits to your name. And you've you've been a stunt coordinator. You've done stunts pretty much your whole career, I assume. But you've worked on Face Off and GI Jane and a Star Trek film. So, what what was your experience like working on some of those? And how does it maybe differ from working on some of these lower budget independent films? So, the I think the first thing is. It's a lot easier working on one of those big films. I mean, you're just in your trailer. You have 10 people to do one thing. Yeah. It, it is, it's the experience of what people think Hollywood is like. That, that, is, that is it. And the creative side, not near as much, especially on those where I was just, you know, just a little cog and, not ha- and didn't have as much input. But that is literally like star. I mean, you're just even, – even myself just – I mean – with you, you see William Shatner, or you see you know Nicolas Cage, or yeah. I, was, I was Tom Cruise's stunt devil as well for oh, one, wow. for one, for a, for a War of the Worlds. But that that sort of thing is film to its what you imagine and as sure. growing up. Yeah. But then you get to the independent side, and this one, the reason resilience came around first and foremost. Like I've said, I have this amazing love for Utah. I'm not from here. My wife's from here. My kids are here. I want to raise them here. And I also want to work here. I've been traveling, you know, gone for a lot of their life because of my my job. And I want it to all be here. You know, if I'm fortunate enough to get resilience as a series, it's going to be shot here. My next project, it's going to be shot here. Everything I can do, everything I can do for that. And as the independent side on this one specifically, I mean, I built a cave with me and a couple guys, built a cave in my barn. 
barn that's used in this film. We built yeah. we built a shack. It's just it's just a whole uh, a bunch of people banding together. You know, they're not making the great rate. They're not making the great. Uh, the, they're not making this. It's not all this craft service and people coming around. I mean, we were just making. You know, I, I was making sandwiches for the crew at lunch. That's the kind of stuff that happened. You're doing and, it because you love it, and and, and it's yeah. such a passion and such a a great process. And the initial project to go back to where this came from. I had done a short, which uh, I would love to sh- love to share with guys. It's a baseball movie, and it's about this uh, this kid who was a preacher's kid, and he had Forrest Gump legs, and he gets uh, he gets ends up going on to play professional baseball. And I shot a short for it because it's just amazing. And we were talking talks about me directing, and my little girl was going to play the the little girl in it, and it was just going amazing. And then they saw my resume, not as a director, not, not big enough for that kind of project. Yeah. And so the new director came in and, and they started prepping and like, you know, what? we're, we're going to go a different direction, even, in, oh, in, even no. with your daughter. And I found that out. And, and my daughter, I'm not a myopic parent. She is an amazing actress. I mean, by far the best kid actor I've worked with. And I remember her doing a scene with Bo Bridges for a movie called, uh, I think it was, um, let's think here. Underdog kids. And oh. she did a scene with Bo Bridges and Bo changed the line and she's six years old. And she looked him at the whole cruise around. She says, "If you're going to change your line, I think my character would react a little differently." And she's just this little tiny. Wow. So she's just this amazing talent, and she's also—I mean, she's done stunts with me. She she can do all this stuff. So I was really crushed. Not so much because I didn't get it, but they were holding my my deficiencies against her, and she wasn't going to mm. get the part. And so I sat there. It was about eleven o'clock at night, and I started writing resilience. And I wrote for fourteen straight hours, and wrote and wrote the uh, wrote the thing just for her, based on. I knew she can climb. I knew she's a motorcycle rider. Yeah. I know she's an amazing little actor. And so that's, that's where it came from. That's so awesome. How did, you, how did you first get your start in the industry? Okay, so I went to, uh, I, I went to school at South, Southwest Missouri to play baseball, tore my rotator cuff, and had an uncle in uh, L.A., and he's like, hey, man, if you need to take a break, just come out here, hang with me on the beach, and, you know, you're bumming. So I went out there and started uh, – Started working at a gym as a kind of a trainer, and one of the guys I was training was a producer, and he's like, you look just like this. They do storyboards for commercials specifically. Uh-huh. This is kind of a funny story, and he's, he goes, look at this. You look just like this kid in the storyboard, and it's Oh Boise's Potato Chip commercial. And he said, like, can you dance? And I go, oh, man, I can dance like crazy, brother. I, whatever you need, I can dance. And so they ended up uh, – they had been casting, trying to cast and cast and cast, and they ended up casting me in that potato chip commercial and uh, that was my very 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 first job and that i came back i shot for two days and i came back and helped the prop guy for free for the next month and then i started just doing anything i could and interning while i was trying to work as an actor and just just kind of came into it and it just rolled from there my goodness so i'm I'm sensing a theme here with you i'm sensing a very deep love for the filmmaking process and even if there's not like a huge budget attached to it, you're going to do it just because you love it. Absolutely. A- absolutely. One thing that, you know, there's a, there's a message board here or a group on Facebook. I think it's called Utah Filmmakers and Actors or something, yeah, something uh-huh. like that. Big, big group. And you see a lot of some bitter, bitterness going on with about rates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I could say to them is, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I have really good experience and I'm learning I learn something just about every job. I mean that's the first thing. And the second thing is when you see an independent filmmaker, they're busting, you know, they're busting trying to make this happen and they don't have enough money. And you never have enough money. But when they ask for your help, they're not insulting you and 
don't take money out of your pot pocket to help them. But if you can give them a day in between when you're not working, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for them. Yeah. It may not turn into something. It may turn into something. I still I still give, I don't know, in probably 20 days a year at least to different people that are doing projects just to help them out, even if it's phone calls, but sometimes it's on the set, you know, and just keep your process. Love yeah. what you do. If you don't love what you do, it makes it makes it much more difficult. And you get kind of angry when budgets aren't what they should be or you're you're struggling and stay diversified you know you might be on there as a sound guy and helping out with a video or helping out with props now you can now you have two jobs especially in utah there's so much great talent here and a lot of the the best guys do multiple jobs you know they're not just a grip they're not just an electrician they they'll help with props they'll help with locations whatever it is well including you and that's that's great advice too to to up-and-coming filmmakers and actors um, so speaking of giving, I understand you've got something called School Movie Night. And what is that and what does it have to do with resilience and the last spike? Okay, so I thought this was really interesting because of the historical side and also um the family value side. As a as a stunt coordinator, I have this unique unique ability or unique side of things that's action-based. A lot of family or faith-based movies aren't as action-based as uh, myself would. You know, a lot of, they're sure. great. They're great for their own thing. But I think a lot of people that would normally not go to a faith-based movie might go to one that's uh, action-based. And then you have a subtle introduction. So it's really important to me, I think, and this is, I'm going to sound like a like get-off-my-lawn guy, but <laughs> I think a lot of the stuff, the way the way shows are going it's to the detriment of our moral compass and of uh, – I, I have a really strong base that I need to instill that, but not with you got to read the Bible. You got to you know, come at them that way. I want to come at them with look at, look at how cool Rizzy is with her relationship with yeah. her dad. Look how she's praying in a, subtle, in a subtle way. So I wanted to get into schools and do this thing, a way for schools to raise money yeah. and also a, a way for my film and these films to start getting these messages to these kids. You know what? How cool is it to be respectful to your parents? How cool is it to have this relationship? Right. And it is just going to build. And, you know, I'm a little on the older side to have a kid that's eight and a kid that's 12. So I'm, you know, I maybe have a different look at it, but I really want to instill that. And so with the, the school night, that's a way to say um, to give back to the schools for them to raise money and to get get these kids all involved in that sort of process. So how is it working again? I, I believe you're splitting the money. Is it fifty fifty with the production company and the schools? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. So so if a school signs up for a for a movie night, which is is what we do, we send out an email. We try to get these schools to sign up. It's like you guys want to raise money uh, for whatever the whatever your event is, and so you're basically taking the distribution. Um, you know, you have the distribution company normally takes fifty. Yeah, but we get rid of that distribution company. Now it's the straight filmmaker and the school. That's nice. who's profiting from it. And I think I would love – I think it's a great way to do – I mean it's a great business plan to start to go – you know, I'd like to like creep across the country with sure. this business plan. Yeah. And you might be able to you know, get your self-distribution that way. Awesome. So aside from the premiere that's going to be on May 10th, what other ways can people see this film? OK. So um, I actually just found out today on my way in, Megaplex – they, he said they're getting such a good buzz. How did I feel about opening for a special screening in through in their uh, in their Megaplex theaters at seven on Thursday? Awesome. So so we're now opening on the ninth uh, at seven on, on um, at the Megaplex theaters. Specific five, I think it's uh, kind of in our area. It's um, let's see, uh, Thanksgiving Point, uh, Geneva, 
Jordan Commons, Jordan Landing, and uh, late the one in Layton are the five that are doing the special Thursday screening. Yeah. So that that's on that's on the ninth. Okay. And then uh, you know, kind of all the megaplexes as a, as a, as of the tenth, and uh, as of I mean, it'll be I think you're. Uh, be too late because uh the for the thursday for the thursday showing but yeah uh, so yeah just just get out there and and support and support this and any of them it's megaplex specifically is who i who i signed with to that's exclusively uh we're just doing megaplex right now for our, for the initial uh first weekend awesome and just in closing brian what is it that you hope viewers of resilience and the last spike will take away from the experience i think it has a little something for everybody if uh one thing that even some of the people that worked with me on this, they had no idea Utah had a little Sahara. I don't know if you know. This mm. This is – I mean you could shoot any Hollywood desert film in the world in our, in our backyard right here, Little Sahara. And then you have the Grand Canyon and then you have these amazing uh, rock formations. So the fir- one of the first things is just the amazing beauty of the landscapes. The second thing would be uh, resilience as in – this girl does not quit. She has a strong, just a strong family yeah. and strong and, and the, just the, her, and her faith and that trust. So I would like to instill that a really good feeling. I'm hoping, uh, it's, it has a kind of, I don't even know how to describe this, but almost like an old brother where art thou feel with mm. the, my, my bad guys. They're played by, um, um, Scott Clark and Skip Carlson, who are also stunt guys, buddies of mine. Oh, cool. And I knew they just would kill this role. And they're on the poster, if you've seen that. Those are the two guys. And they're kind of quirky and funny. And the one guy, has a, he has a pet chicken that he walks around with. It's stuffed because <laughs> it got eaten by a wiener dog. And he walks around with this thing. So there's, I want you to laugh. I want you to cry. I want yeah. you to really, really feel really good. Uh, you know, just, just kind of power, empowered after you go through. And then the, the, the opening scene with the trains, are, it's really, really beautiful. It's not it's short but it's just amazing to see those are the those are replicas like exact replicas of what was in the 1800s and all the all the 1800 stuff is done in this sepia tone so it kind of has a, you know we put a little grain on it and a little a whole different look for all our 1800 stuff well his name is brian finn and he is a hollywood veteran and his new film is resilience and the last spike out this weekend brian we've enjoyed talking to you about your your new film and about the filmmaking process in general and we just We appreciate your time and your passion. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. What accounting firm is closed at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday? I can't hear! I can't hear! I can't! There's blood blisters on my head! Oh, my God, how do they walk away in movies without flinching when it explodes behind them? There's no way! Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. If you're just joining us, we just finished speaking with Brian Finn, the director of a new film, Resilience and the Last Spike, which is out this weekend. You should look for it. And, uh, you know, we thought we'd keep this theme of stunts going on. We've never really talked that much about stunts on Screen Cleaning and this idea of stunts got us really excited. And Cole, I'm I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on what you think makes for some good stunts or what you look for 
uh, in stunts and movies. So I put it into two different categories. Okay. There are the stunts that are there just to look awesome. And yeah. you kind of know that going into the movie, that this is the movie that you're seeing just so you can see what cool things they're going to put in front of you. Yeah. But then, then there are the stunts that actually do a good job integrating themselves into the story that you don't notice. Like the story takes a break so we can have this cool thing happen and then the story picks up again that they can kind of thematically work in a cool stunt yeah. into why the movie has happened. So it sounds like you're you prefer stunts that are worked into the story. I do prefer the latter, but right. But as long as I don't know, I can acknowledge the former because a lot of those movies just do exist to put cool stunts on the screen, and, yes. and I go watch those and have fun. And they do quite well, especially internationally, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the summer box office season. Yeah, yeah. So. I think for me, some of the stunts that I really enjoy are the ones where you see somebody, not that I want to see people getting hurt, but when you see it, you think, oh, there's no way that guy was not hurt by doing that stunt or woman, you know, whoever's doing the stunt. And I have an example of that I'll share here in just a minute. But I kind of wanted to talk about three different types of stunts that we see in movies. And the first one being Driving. We see so many driving stunt movies with sure. all these Fast and Furious movies. Chase scenes, right. going back to the French Connection even where the, the movies, the car chase was almost born. Right, right. And I think Bullet is another example uh-huh. of one of the most famous car chase scenes around. And another one that I have is also one that takes place in San Francisco, just as Bullet does, is a film called What's Up, Doc? This is interesting because it's not an action movie. It's not a suspense movie. It's just a a screwball comedy. And to have this amazing car chase scene throughout San Francisco is just awesome. And there's a scene in the film where they go down these famous steps. I can't remember the name of it. It's like the Alta Plaza or something like that. And... You see these cars just jetting down these steps and you are seeing the damage that these cars are creating to the steps. Well, there's an interesting backstory behind that car chase scene. Uh, According to IMDb, director Peter Bogdanovich did not get permission from the city of San Francisco to drive the cars down the concrete steps. Oh, it's the Alta Plaza Park. And the steps were so badly damaged during filming that they still show the scars of that car chase scene <laughs> today. And because of the damage to the city property that they did during the filming of this movie, San Francisco actually now requires productions to provide uh, with its filming permit application a very detailed scene-by-scene breakdown of everything that the company is asking permission for. And then you got to stick to it. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I love me a good car chase scene. Baby Driver is one of those oh, kind yeah. of integrated feeling things because they take the music and the stunts and the story and right. all pull them together and especially the opening chase where they're where we see baby driving for the first time all of that was yes. done practically there was a stunt driver in the car inventing these new ways to turn a car around yep. and the way you pull the e-brake and do other 
drive I drive generally like 40 in a 50 zone so I don't know anything about this world. Oh, I thought you were going to say but, that you drive like that. <laughs> not not in the slightest, but it's really cool to see and and it is a movie where the whole thing is like one giant stunt and I love it. I think it's interesting you bring up music because I really do think that can elevate a stunt. I did go back and just review the the scene from Bullet really quickly before the show and I noticed there's like no music throughout the scene. And it really does make a difference. Don't get me wrong. The stunts that these stunt drivers are pulling off are still pretty darn amazing. But it could have been punctuated, right? Right. Sometimes that lack of music enhances the stunt, though, like in my next pick, which is when Pierce Brosnan is introduced to us as James Bond in the mm. movie GoldenEye. We see him before we even get the, the iconic bump, 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 bump. We see him jump off the Hoover Dam in a yes in a jump with a bungee kind of cord attached to his yeah, feet. Anyway, yeah. and it's just so silent. And in these movies that that have never really been subtle in any way, mm-hmm. um, going back all the way to every James Bond ever and Doctor No. Um, the way that this one started, it was kind of a different and, – and I think that's one of my favorite James Bond movies as a whole because it's a little bit just of a higher quality in my opinion. Interesting little fact about GoldenEye. First of all, you should watch the movie GoldenEye and then play the Nintendo 64 game GoldenEye and they're practically identical. It's oh, yes. so much fun to see that. But that is a movie that really rejuvenated the James Bond franchise again. Nobody had played James Bond since um, Timothy Dalton. Also, another interesting – I'm going back even further. Pierce Brosnan was supposed to play James Bond a while before he actually did, but he was tied to a TV show, Remington Steel, and so Tem- or, uh, Timothy Dalton had to step in for two movies. That movie, GoldenEye, was directed by Martin Campbell, who really like you know juiced the franchise up again, gave it all this energy. And then when we needed that again, once Pierce Brosnan's uh, stint had come to an end – we got Martin Campbell again with, again, one of the greatest James Bond movies ever, Casino Royale with Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. And his Daniel Craig's kind of parkour running oh, scenes so in awesome. that movie yes. are another great stunt to talk about. Yes, yes. So I also kind of wanted to talk about pyrotechnics. And at the beginning of the block, we played a clip from the other guys where, you know, you always see these guys that are walking away from an explosion and they look so cool doing it. And in, in reality, that might not be what happens. But sometimes it's it's very real. And one example that comes to mind for me is in The Dark Knight when the Joker who is – it's this very odd scene. It's very odd visual to to see on screen because he is this really evil, horrible person and yet – you're, you can't take him very seriously because he's dressed up as a nurse in this very short skirt and the nurse's hat and everything. And he is walking away from this hospital and he's trying to explode it and he can't get it to work. And he kind of taps this device a few times. Finally, it does explode. He's walking away from this, this explosion, getting into a school bus and driving off and then seeing the immensity of this explosion is just it's just jaw dropping. Oh, Chris Nolan, who directed The Dark Knight, of course, is a huge fan of practical effects in his movies. And we could talk about the tumbling hallway in Inception or in The Dark Knight Rises where Bane kind of lets a plane, an entire fuselage, just drop from around him. And all of these were done 
for real. Right. And the fact that they created the the uh, I don't what is it called? It's not the Batwing, but it's the uh, the Batpod. The little the have... Batpod and then a little motorcycle yeah. that he has later on. They really made those vehicles <laughs> and they you can go online and watch them you know work out how they're going to perform all these stunts and it's just incredible. I am a huge huge fan of practical stunts. Once you start putting CGI in it, I, I it really starts to diminish the integrity of the stunt. I and believe. And one of the worst offenders of the CGI cool guys not looking at explosions in my mind is in Wolverine Origins, X-Men mm. Origins Wolverine, where yeah. he just crashes a plane with Agent Zero in it and he's walking away and they get that shot, but it looks extremely fake. Like you can see the black yep. lines of the green screen that were around Hugh Jackman as he's walking away and it takes you out of the movie for a second just how unrealistically bad it looked and yeah. it was, and it just kind of went into that whole movie being a, a kind of CGI and story mess. I don't think we can get out of a discussion about stunts without talking about fighting. There are two names that come to mind when I think of uh, people that do their own stunts mm-hmm. and do a lot of their own fighting. Mm-hmm. And those two names are Tom Cruise and, of course, Jackie Chan. Yes. Right? Oh, as long as we get to talk about Jackie Chan, I'll be happy. (laughs) Jackie Chan, he came out with some amazing movies that were at the perfect point in my life, right around the time when I was in high school. Movies like Rush Hour and Shanghai Noon were a very big deal to me because they were kind of – they kind of represented the comfort food of cinema for me at that time. And when I mentioned using props in your fighting earlier or in your stunts, I was thinking of Jackie Chan, the way he can just take – his environment and make it a part of what he's doing and and just the chore- choreography that he either invents on the spot or he takes over from the choreographers and yeah Jackie Chan's fantastic yeah and to see him break his ankle in a film and just put on this little brace and just work through it is just first of all not advisable by the way <laughs> I would never advise you do something like that but he's a professional and, you know, he realizes we got a budget. We got all these people that got to work. We got to move on, you know. And another person that recently got injured on the set. Broken it, ankle also, actually. N- very, you know, notorious for doing his own stunts is Tom Cruise. Cole, you love this example. The Mission Impossible franchise yes. is like no other in the way Tom Cruise commits himself. This is a man that from his first movies in Top Gun proved that he can fly himself. And we have some pretty cool aerial <laughs> acrobatics in that that went forward to the most recent Mission Impossible. Sure, he's running around and, and Tom Cruise running is its own cool thing. But he learned how to fly a helicopter for all of that final chase scene between him and Henry Cavill in that movie. Yeah, pretty impressive. He also, you know, climbed the tallest building in the world for real with just a couple wires. To me, that is still the most like heart heart pounding, sweaty palms moment in any of the Mission Impossible movies. Oh, and he just trained himself to hold his breath for like three minutes at the time so he could go underwater and do stunts. Is there anything these guys can't do? Oh, and he climbed (laughs) rocks for real out in the middle of the Utah desert for the beginning of Mission Impossible 2. This man is speaking of Utah. Yeah. Well, we've been so excited to talk about stunts here and to talk with Brian Finn, the director of Resilience and The Last Spike, here on the program today. And Tom Cruise's former stunt double himself. That's, that's right. We found that out. That it was another interesting tidbit. So when we return, we want to kind of give you an update on the summer movie box office, as well as do a little panning for good. That's up next on Screen Cleaning.
Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We want to do a little update on the summer movie box office. Last week, we gave our predictions on which movies would make the most money this summer because the summer movie season is when we see blockbusters and big budgets. So... Each week now on Screen Cleaning for the rest of the summer, we want to give you a summer scoreboard update and which one of us are doing better. Right. Not a lot, of, not a lot to report today, but we will say so far in the lead with $10.9 million as of last weekend, that is, is a film called The Intruder where we finally get to see the villain we've been wanting to see in Dennis Quaid. Uh This is the film that I tried to see last week and then discovered that Cinemio was no longer in business, so I was not able to review it. But uh, it's very quickly going to be plowed over in the ensuing weeks. Hopefully by Detective Pikachu just this week. Second place is Longshot. Third place is Ugly Dolls. Three movies that neither of us had in our ultimate top ten. So if, if, if... If, by some weird (laughs) fluke of the summer, any of these hold on, then we both start to lose points. But between the two of us, we are currently tied at having zero movies in the correct position. It's good to be tied, but we both predicted that Detective Pikachu would appear in our top ten. I can't remember offhand where it appeared on mine. So we will see soon. Right. Another film that technically cannot be on our list and therefore is disqualified from this contest. It came out the week before summer, people. Right. Is Avengers. Infinity War. Endgame. Endgame. (laughs) Infinity War came out a year before summer. And it is just breaking all sorts of box office records. It it very quickly became the second highest grossing film of all time worldwide. Quicker to $2 billion than any other movie. Right. So it passed Titanic. James Cameron hopped on social media, congratulated the makers of Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. And he also said, you know what, you guys, this is a win for all of us filmmakers because you've proved – that going to the movies is not dead. People are still very much interested in seeing these movies on the big screen. I hope he has another draft of a tweet prepared for when <laughs> Endgame passes another one of James Cameron's own movies. Which could, could be very soon because it's currently at $2.27 billion and Avatar is at 2.78. So all he has to do is a half a billion more worldwide. That's doable. I'm going to see it again this week. And really its only big competition is Detective Pikachu. If it can just get a couple more weeks. Endgame's got this in the bag. Right. Now, we ought to talk about everything that's going on with these these upcoming Disney releases. Speaking and, of Avatar right. and Titanic, two James Cameron oh movies, goodness. formerly of the Fox label. Now, the top five, as we mentioned last week, all time in the box office are all Disney properties, a couple of them with some sequels planned. Do I, does this mean I need to, I need to start investing in Disney I think the time for that was any time between 10 years ago and now. (laughs) Okay. So it's not too late, you're saying. So, you know, they've... Unfortunately, some of the some of the releases that we've been hearing about for years and years and years have been pushed back. Among those, the new Indiana Jones film, even the Avatar films have been pushed back a little bit. But there's one that by the time it comes out, I believe it'll be... Two years past its original release date. And I understand you want to talk about that one. At the end of 2017, I saw a trailer for X-Men New Mutants, and I was extremely excited for it. This was going to be an X-Men story separating itself from the other characters that we've known and introducing a new crop of mutants. It was going to have a horror feel to it, and I was excited for the direction it was taking. 
Then they announced some reshoots. Maybe they were going to add a new character halfway through the story. And then Disney bought Fox, and now Disney is trying to figure out ways, I'm sure, to incorporate the X-Men in general into their MCU. And we get another delay for New Mutants. Now, Dark (sighs) Phoenix had this same problem. It's been delayed about a year, but it is coming out this summer. I don't think it'll crack the top ten. Jeff does. Mm. But... This other X-Men movie that's been on the shelf is stuck on the shelf a little bit more. Is there an example of a movie that has had delays that it turned out it was a good thing? Earlier this year, (laughs) How to Train Your Dragon 3 actually had been delayed a few years. Really? Again, for a similar reason, that the old studio that had the distribution rights for DreamWorks Pictures sold off those distribution rights. And so another studio took over. It stuck it in a different slot in its schedule because these studios just go out and and claim their spots. And and so they got to stick their movies where the spots they have are. And How to Train Your Dragon 3 was it was good. Well, I'm not too optimistic as far as the new mutants is concerned. Oh, I'm not either. But, you know, we can still hold out hope for Indiana Jones 5 and Avatar 10, 11, 4, and 5, which (laughs) all have announcements. This this news comes as part of Disney kind of announcing their full slate going forward into 2024, 2027, till the sun explodes. I think until I die, at least. Yeah. Well... Uh, that's going to do it for our summer movie update for this week. We're going to continue to look at that each and every week to see which of us is going to take home the big prize, which I think is still yet to be determined. I think it involved some movie it's theater popcorn. It's going to popcorn. Yeah. Somewhere or another. <laughs> but with that behind us, we need to do a little panning for good. There's good in them there hills. <laughs> Today on Panning for Good, we're going to come back to a movie we've already mentioned, and it is a film that is rated G. If it was released today, it would probably have a PG rating to it, but it is a a film from the 1970s directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Ryan O'Neill, Barbara Streisand, and the late Madeline Kahn, among some other very, very funny people. This is a wonderful screwball comedy that I don't have any qualms about. uh, What's up, Doc? Yeah, what's up, Doc? Sorry, I should mention the name of the movie. I don't have any qualms about recommending it to the entire family. I think there's a scene where a man is in his boxer shorts. That's about as risque as it gets. But And, of course, you get the same Barbara Streisand wit that we all know and love. But it's a screwball comedy. The setup of this comedy is you have these – it's either three or four identical suitcases that keep getting uh, swapped and people keep misplacing them and mistaking it for their own suitcase. And so hilarity ensues. This is probably one of Madeline Kahn's best roles, and I think it was her first major role in a movie. So it's worth it just to check it out for Madeline Kahn alone. But you have some great car chase scenes. You've got some great stunts. And the wit and humor of this film is top notch. It's become one of the favorites in our household. I never knew about it growing up, but then when I married my beautiful, wonderful wife, she introduced me to it. 
And Aww. it's such a special film for us now. Fantastic. And in a special two-part painting for good, I've got some some movies that we don't often talk about. We don't get into the silent film era very sure. often on screen cleaning. But as we're panning for some of the good and as I was looking up some amazing stunts, you couldn't ignore the work of Buster Keaton from oh the 1920s. Goodness. The General and Steamboat Bill Jr. both have some interesting stunt work. And, and this is a man that before CGI even cast doubt in our mind that he's not doing what we see him doing. Um, he was doing all of these things. The, the classic scene that TV shows and movies have parodied many times where a house comes crashing down, but he's standing in the exact spot where he's in the window. Yeah. Um, that was Buster Keaton that invented that in Steamboat Bill Jr. And the general has two cha- two trains chasing each other. It was, at the time, the most expensive movie to make from the silent film era. So even back then, budgets were big when it came to stunt work. I think for a lot of people, too, a good stunt means that person could have died performing that stunt. And the one that you mentioned with Buster Keaton is kind of one of those prominent examples of uh, if anything went wrong, boom, he would have been flattened like a pancake and we wouldn't (laughs) have had more Buster Keaton magic on screen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Screen Cleaning. Join us next week as we bring you the very best in entertainment here on Screen Cleaning. 